Hey, everybody, and welcome to the newest episode of the Haskin Cast podcast. I'm Scott Haskin, your host, and I'm happy to have you here on this journey with me. We're a few shows in now, and I hope you guys have been enjoying it um, as much as I have been enjoying bringing you the podcast, taking a lot more of my time than I thought it would, but I think it's worth it because I've been talking to some great people, had some wonderful conversations, and I'm sure there's plenty more of that to come. So please do remember to rate the episodes, uh, put yourself on the notification list to uh, be advised when new episodes come out. Typically, it's every Wednesday, and uh, I'll have an occasional Saturday or special episode here and there, just depending on how it falls. Um, Definitely appreciate all the comments and the feedback that I've been getting, and really glad that uh, those of you who have... uh, contacted me or enjoying it. As always, if you have any questions, any comments, uh, anything that you want to talk about, feel free to reach me at scott at scotthaskin.com. And uh, you can uh, also subscribe there to my website at scotthaskin.com for my email list, which I usually try to put out an email about maybe once a month. I really don't like to bombard people, but unless there's something special uh, that's happening, I really try to keep it to about one a month. Sometimes if a big project is coming up, then I'll send out an extra uh, email just announcing the project. Um, Also uh, announce that on my blog, Google+, uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, you know, all the places uh, that I'm on. There's a couple I'm not on. I'm not on Tumblr uh, because I don't know anything about it yet, and I'm not on Snapchat. But uh, pretty much everywhere else you can find me. I think I even still have a couple of old MySpace pages available that I can't even get into. So those are uh, far from uh, updated, but they still exist. So uh, there is that. So anyway, i uh, got a great, great guest for you today. I've known her for a number of years, Diane Dresback. She is uh, celebrating her, the release of her newest book, and we're going to talk to her about that and about filmmaking and some other things. She's a really, really awesome person. I'm very grateful to know her, and let's bring her on the show. All right, and I'd like to welcome Diane to the show. Diane, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Scott. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. I'm looking forward to uh, having a good conversation. Me too. I I think I sound like a broken record because I think I invite everybody on and say it exactly that same way every single time, but I mean it. (laughs) Well, hey, as long as it comes from your heart, that's the main thing. Well, yeah. You know, and I'm one of those people that... I use a lot of exclamation points in my writing because if I'm going to say something, I really mean it. Otherwise, what's the point? Absolutely. I want to congratulate you on your new book. Thank you very much. You are welcome. I'm very, I haven't had a chance to read it yet, but I'm very excited to, um, as I understand it, and I have a hard time balancing how much to say versus how much not to say. So I'm going to let you describe the book, but I am very excited because it really ties into partially, at least a personal story for you. Yes, it is a personal story. Um, it's, it's basically, um, it's my fictionalized account based on true events of my biological mother. I was adopted when I was just a a baby, and um, I did meet her later on in life, and she shared a lot of stories with me that I thought were very interesting, especially her her, um, early childhood as well as, you know, the whole thing when she she became pregnant and what she was going to do, and, you know, in that time, 
that it was uh, much different back in those years than it is these days. But it still it was a you know difficult decision, and so I kind of go into all of that and and tell those stories. Wow. So, it, yeah, she's um, she just was a very strong woman and um, very difficult childhood, and uh, but she came through it all. So. So I wanted to share those stories, and she said, "Go for it." <laughs> That's so, amazing. Was yeah. that that must have been an incredibly uh, difficult time leading up to that meeting? Well, it, you know, it, it took me a while to. Uh, it, uh, actually, it, it's uh, pretty involved as far as like how it came about that I ended up meeting her. Um, but uh, I was, you know, just young. I was in college when when I had a chance to meet her. So. Um, I, I always knew I was adopted. My parents never kept that, you know, never hid that from me. Um, so, you know, I, I was pretty healthy about the whole topic and stuff like that. But it was fascinating to, to meet somebody that, uh, you know, to see if I look like anybody. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, you know, do I look like somebody? But it took me a while to figure out how I wanted to tell the story. And some people, well, was it memoir or, you know, um, is it fictionalized or nonfiction, um, you know, but I just had to try and figure out how I wanted to tell the story. And I decided on doing it as a novel, just basing it on true events. Because I wasn't there, um, and a lot of the people that are involved in the stories are gone now. So mm-hmm. it's not like I can interview a bunch of people and, and uh, that type of thing. So... I I have taken stories that she shared with me and, you know, expanded them and just picked some of them for the novel. Mm-hmm. So that, that's that's the way I kind of got around that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what else can you do? If you can't actually speak to the other people, you can only take the one account that you have. And you, and you mm-hmm. figure there's, you know, there's a good percentage of it that's probably accurate and there's other memories that are filled in, uh, you know, to be able to tell a story. Uh, how much of it would you say was, from your perspective, added, embellished to her stories versus a, an exact accounting of what she told you? Um, I think that there's quite a bit of it that is actually what she told me. Mm-hmm. Um, probably, I mean, the, the little things that I've had to fill in, like I had to come up with a way for her to tell her story, so that's fabricated. Right. But I really had to imagine, like when she said this particular thing happened, she didn't give me the the situation, you know, like all of the dialogue that happened and mm-hmm. what the other person looked like and, and um, you know, that type of thing. So that's the type of stuff that I had to embellish on and imagine. And I tried to, I really tried to stay true to the story. So as far as, um, you know, basing it on her memory of these events, um, it, it's pretty close. There, I, I really didn't fabricate um, thing outside from, like I said, the uh, the tool that I use for her to tell her stories. Mm-hmm. I mean, I stuck pretty close to to what she had what she had told me. Good. So yeah, yeah. Good. So yeah, I, I like that because if you have to add a lot of connective tissue, uh, which would be understandable, um, mm-hmm. you know, obviously the 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 less it's going to flow. So the more natural and the more, you know, you can take directly from her, I'm sure it's, it makes it much more enjoyable to experience from the reader's perspective. Yes. 
and she and she you know has a lot of people that she knew and affected and um you know a lot of them are are excited to to read about it which which is really cool okay. this this accounting i mean this this um story when this all happened to me um uh you know it really got me into uh, screenwriting. <laughs> uh, this was when this whole thing came about a little bit later. Um, not necessarily right when I met her, but a little bit later, mm-hmm. I um, just really wanted to write about this story. And so I wrote my first feature-length screenplay about this particular story. Mm-hmm. And I had never done it before, and I thought, well, I'm going to learn how to do it. And it took me like three or four years uh, to get through it because I was doing a bunch of other stuff at the same time. And, uh, but, and, I, and I did it, so it inspired me enough to do that. Of course, the screenplay was terrible because I'd never <laughs> written one before. <laughs> well, you got to start somewhere, though. And that's right. That's right. And uh, it would be it would be expensive to do because it's a period piece and everything. But, oh, um, okay, yeah, yeah, you know. So I'm like, eh, I think I'll be able to turn this into a novel instead. So, yeah, you know, it, finding the right market for something is a real challenge when you have those skills of being able to do something as a film, or you can do something as a novel, or you can do something as a, you know, a, a photo album uh, or narrated. You know, mm-hmm. it's it, it's. There's almost too many options, but in a way, it's great because if if it if you look at it and go, I don't want to do this as a movie. I think I would be best served doing it as a book. Then you mm-hmm. have the ability to do it. Um, right now, would you say that this was? I mean, for for you, it, was it difficult to say? I want to tell this story, but going to actually putting it out for the world to scrutinize because as artists, you know, we're always putting ourselves on the line, but this is a really personal thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, I think that, um, honestly, honestly, I mean, that's, that's why I had, you know, I kind of, I got her blessing to do this because, you know, if she didn't want to put the personal stuff out there, then I wasn't going to do it. Mm-hmm. But, um, we had talked actually of, of writing a book together, mm. but it just never materialized. And so um, when I finally, you know, said to her that I, I would like to do this as a novel, she's, you know, she was very, she was, she was very um, positive about that. Um, and I think, I think she, I think that she, um, you know, she experienced uh, a lot and she learned a lot. And I think. Um, she, I think she felt that she had lessons that she could share with other people. Um, and, um, and so I, 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 it's not like I feel bad about, you know, putting some of that detail out there Mm -hmm. and it's mostly about her. I mean, you know, I, I'm in it a little bit, but it, but the lion's share of the book is, is really about her and her experience and, and, uh, that. So this wasn't something that was necessarily a, a therapeutic adventure for you, or, or did you find some some answers in it for yourself? No, it, it no. Somebody else had asked me of that too. You know, if it it must have been therapeutic or or you know have have uh, it was cathartic or something, and, mm-hmm. and I'm like, well, it was interesting. I mean, I did shed a few tears here and there. <laughs> sure, yeah. because you know there there were some. Uh, I don't know how I couldn't. But um, but I was always um, ever since I met her, um, you know, we we always 
there was no animosity between us or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so for the most part, there was one that I was like, what? But you have to read the book to find that out. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, I mean, it's understandable. She didn't know you. She didn't give you away. She gave a baby away. Right. Yeah. Because it wasn't like she true. knew you. She got to know your personality and just rejected you as who you are. That right. really wasn't the case. Right. Yeah. That is that is very true. Yeah. That is very true. Yeah. Uh, I was I was uh, I was fortunate. You know, there's a lot of people that meet their biological um, families, mothers, fathers, whatever, and it's not a good reception. And so I feel. Uh, very fortunate that that it, she was just, you know, she was a wonderful woman, and she had issues and had to make decisions and stuff like that. But um, but it was a it was positive. Good. I like that your foster parents didn't really hide that from you either. I I think that kind of open communication is really important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, if you were a fragile child and had a lot of emotional issues, then you know maybe wait a little bit. But you know, to... oh, oh, fragile. Oh, yeah. No, no, I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> now, is this something that you down the road perhaps would like to make into a film? Um, possibly. Um, but it would definitely, it would definitely be down the road. I have some other ideas that I would like to um, put into put into the film world first. Sure. Um, and again, this would be being it would be a period piece. It would be uh, more costly um, right. to do that. But who knows? Who knows what might happen? Well, the magic of cinema. You know, if you get with the right studio, they've probably already got all the costuming and everything just sitting in a warehouse ready to go. That's true. That's very true. Sets and all that. Now, speaking of film, you've also got a short that uh, I just watched the trailer on a couple nights ago called To Life. And uh-huh. uh, I thought the trailer was really interesting because it kind of sets the tone, but really doesn't tell you what's happening. And I, I like that. <laughs> it's like it's enough to draw you in to go, I want to know more, which is what I yeah. think a trailer really should do. I, I've seen far uh-huh. too many trailers where they're pretty much show you the movie and you don't even need to see it. Right, right. That's true. Well, this is a, it's a, an 11, 10, 11 minute short. So, um, and, you know, was trying to leave a little bit of, a uh, little bit of guessing in there. So like what you said, we're not giving everything away, but mm-hmm. that was a, it was the first film that I shot outside of Phoenix, actually. And we shot that in Austin, Texas when I, when I was there. And, uh, it was, it was fun to, you know, meet some, meet some local people. I had a couple people fly in from, from Phoenix to help me, uh, that I had worked with before. We had our DP. She came from the Boston, New York area wow. and, uh, had people come, uh, a guy came in from LA. And so it was kind of an elected group and, uh, two day shoe. And so we, we wanted to do something, uh, about female friendship. I wanted to. So um, I wrote a script, and then basically the character, the one of the characters was, I was I had a friend in Austin, an actor friend, and she, I was helping her 
she had an online or she had an audition she had to do, and so she came over and said, "Hey, can you run the camera?" And I'm like, "Okay." So I went over there, and and she fell into this one character, and I thought, oh, "I could write something about that." Uh-huh. And it's a drama. It's a dramedy. So uh-huh. you know, there's the the drama side of things, and um, but then we tried to kind of put the lighthearted the lighthearted side to that as well. Sure. Well, I I love when things are organic like that. You know, it's that wasn't something you planned. It just kind of came together, and then you know you went over and did something for somebody, and then that kind of enhanced your project. And I mm-hmm. I, I love when things work like that. But what doesn't surprise me at all is that you brought in somebody from L.A., you brought in people from Phoenix, you flew in someone from New York to do an eleven minute short film. That's well, you. That's you yeah. in a nutshell. That's that because yeah. you go all out and do what you think is going to be best for the project, to to you know within your means. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. And we did a um, uh, we did a seed and spark. So we crowdfunded most of it, mm-hmm. uh, which and and um, you know people just knew other people like hey you should do you know I have a friend over here that does this and I loved working. Um, with Catherine Castro, she was the DP, mm-hmm. and uh, we worked together really, really well, which was really fun because I've only worked with uh, one fe- and one more, one other female DP in all the projects that I've done because there's just not as much, not as many of them out there. Mm-hmm. And um, Catherine was, I mean, she was, she was really, really good. So I was happy that she could fly in, and and um, she stayed with me for a week while we did all our pre-production planning and stuff, and it was really enjoyable. That's great. And now now you mentioned the pre-production. I, I'm glad you said that because I think that people tend to get really excited about the shooting part and mm-hmm. don't really spend enough time in pre-production to make the shooting part go as well as it can and to set up the post-production for success. Uh, so for, uh-huh. for a short film, is a week usually about what you do? Oh, I do a lot more than that. Oh, good, good. <laughs> I actually, yeah, uh, I do a lot more than that. It's just that I can only get her for the week before we were going to shoot. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, we, we did, we did uh, a lot of planning. We Skyped and, and um, emailed and stuff like that. But she, when she flew in, we really sat down and went over all the shot lists that I, you know, wanted to do and discussed all that. Um, but normally I am a big believer in pre-production. I'm, I'm kind of an organizer planner. Mm-hmm. So I probably plan stuff um Maybe over plan, but I always think that you know something's going to go wrong. So <laughs> no, why not? Why not try and plan as much as you can and organize and have everything done. So when something does come up, it's it, you have the time. <laughs> you know, it's not going to throw you completely off. Yeah, I, I'd rather be prepared and have nothing happen than have anything happen and not be ready to manage some kind of crisis, especially when you're on such a tight shoot schedule. Yeah, absolutely. I I am a big pre-planner. Yeah, always have been. And um, yeah, when we did um, the feature film that I wrote and co-produced with Vivas Biswa, mm-hmm. uh, who um, was in Phoenix, now he's in LA and doing uh, different things. Anyway, the fe- the um, that feature that we did. Uh, I was really involved in the pre-production, wore a lot of different hats, only too many, almost too many hats, and uh, just going crazy. But a lot of a lot of the planning was done ahead of time, so it really did. It really was helpful. Yeah, 
Yeah, it, it, it does. Now, is delegation difficult for you, or did you just not have people to, to help you on that? Um, no, delegation usually is not difficult for me. It was We were trying to do a low budget, and so, you know, uh-huh. the, I didn't have the luxury of hiring a bunch of people to do a bunch of different things. So, right. um, But no, I, I'm, I'm good with delegation. Good. I think that's important, especially if you're going to write and produce and direct your own stuff. Um, you have to let go of something somewhere. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's just not going to work. Absolutely. And, and I'm trying, I'm trying to, to uh, with projects, let go more of the producing um, and, and, and have other people worry about that. So. Yeah, that would be nice. I mean, really, the ultimate goal would just to be to focus on the writing and directing, I would imagine, and letting, mm-hmm. letting those other really nasty bits like being a producer because that's that's a fairly thankless and not easy job yes uh, it that is true uh i i produced some um when i worked with my two sons on projects you know Mm -hmm. i would produce uh my youngest son Devin would would um direct and then my oldest son trenton would write and we did a few projects like that and it actually worked really well um but and, and that's fine because I, I can wear lots of, you know, I can wear that hat. That's that's perfectly fun. That was really fun to do those, by the way. Oh, <laughs> Work really? with your well, kids. That's good. That's good. And it wasn't yeah. difficult working with your your own children. No, because because of those roles. I mean, mm-hmm. I, you know, uh, I I didn't want. I wanted everybody to kind of do their thing, and I wasn't going to step in and say, "Hey, I think you should do it this way," you know, because I'm not directing. I'm producing. Right. So. And he was always he was always one to um, like have these grandiose ideas, and then so he comes up with the idea, and I'm, and and I have to try and figure out how to make it happen. Right. So that was always challenging. Yeah. Was was the director part of you ever wanting to step forward and go? You know, if you just shot it at this angle, it might look better. <laughs> I did that once. I did it once. And as soon as I said it, I, I like apologize and step back and let him do his thing. It, it, it was, I couldn't help it. I, was like, oh, yeah. I, don't, I can't do that. I think that's the, the, when you're used to doing a role and, and especially one is, is important and, and high pressured as a director. I, it's hard to let that go when you're working on something else. Mm-hmm. Like I, I did, you know, a, a 48 hour film challenge where uh, instead of being the composer, which I usually was, I was the sound designer, but I was the onset point for the composer. And so it was very tempting for me to go, okay, here's what they're shooting. You might want to use an accordion for this scene, or you might want to use a violin here and just, let him do what he was going to do. Uh huh. It's hard to let that go. Yeah, yeah. It, it's uh, I, and I tried to be really good, but that one time I'm like, oh, Devin, maybe. And then I'm like, oh, whoops, I shouldn't have done that. So he he was funny though. He he was he. So we shot it was a 48 hour film challenge. Uh, one of these projects, and we were we went to six locations. In, in basically 24 hours. Wow. That's heavy for... It is. It is heavy. And I had to haul around, you know, the, the props and the, the table and food and everything. Oh, there were so many funny stories about that, that whole thing. But, um, but it, you know, as a producer, I'm like, okay, I'm going to make this work because I love the idea. Yeah. And, uh, and then we ended up winning, so that would make it even better. <laughs> well, well, that's ambitious, though. I mean, six locations in that short of time 
That's that just the the tearing down and setting up eats a lot of that time. And for those listening that don't know what a 48 hour film challenge is, basically on Friday night, you find out what your genre is, what your prop is and what tagline you have to use in the film. And from that moment, you literally have 48 hours to write, shoot, edit and turn in. So you have to render it to a finished product. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. I've seen people really push that to the limits. So I remember there was one group. I think it was at one of the IFP challenges where they, uh, they, the film wasn't rendering fast enough and they, uh, I think their, their laptop battery was dying. And so they hooked mm-hmm. their laptop up to a car battery oh my gosh. and turned the film in that way. Yeah, it was crazy. That's funny. That's funny. But that's, I mean, that's, you know, you work so hard, you can't, you know, you yep. just can't give up in that last minute. Nope. I, I totally, totally agree with that. I, I really and I did a lot of the challenges and I I really enjoyed them and a lot of people might do one and then that's it they don't like it but I like the I like kind of like the pressure and excitement mm-hmm. about you know going through that I haven't done them lately I I've probably done enough of them but um, <laughs> but I, I really really enjoyed it yeah yeah really enjoyed them they were they were a lot of fun it certainly teaches you how to work quickly how to make decisions. Whereas when you when you have all the time in the world, you can go back and well, maybe I want to do this, or maybe it would be better. You don't have time. You have to make a decision, be confident, and just go with it. Yes, it's they certainly taught me how to write and edit myself very quickly mm-hmm. because I, I had done a bunch of them too. I think that was probably the greatest thing was to learn to be that creative that quickly and to be able to actually produce a product that could be inserted into a film. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and working off of a script instead of the, the video because there's no time to get that to me and then have me start writing. Right, right, exactly, yeah. But they're also great for networking. I mean, you meet so many people doing those kind of projects. Yep, that, that was uh, one of the things that um, before I left Phoenix, um, I for 18 months I hosted the Filmmaker Fusion for IFP. Mm-hmm. And what was basically, and they're still continuing on. It's it's still going on. Oh, they are. And uh, yeah, yeah, they're still continuing that. And so uh, we have we had a panel of of uh, local people that would come in, and there would be a particular talk topic, like you know, audio or acting or directing or um, sound or you know whatever it would be. Um, and people would come in, and then I would host that, I would ask a bunch of questions and then we would open it up for other people. And they were really, really helpful. And a lot of times we had new people that would come that just weren't interested in filmmaking, but they weren't quite sure how to get in. Or right. And so I would always, always encourage, encourage them to, to volunteer for a 48-hour film challenge because mm-hmm. it gives you a very, very uh, quick view of how things, how things can work. And of course, it doesn't mean that all films should be that way. I mean, it's nice to take your time and not do those, but it gives you, it gives you access to see how everything works. And for me, when I did them, it was really helpful for me because I could meet a lot of people. So Mm -hmm. I usually would have some people I'd work with and then I'd bring on new people, actors or crew. And it gives me an opportunity to kind of work with them and see how we mesh and can they handle the stress of, of being on set and having little sleep and, you know, and, um, so it was a good opportunity to, to do that. And, um, you know, and some people you probably find that 
oh, they don't really want to do it or, you know, they, they need their sleep or something. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. Uh, and, then, and then other people just, they were great. They were mm. great, so. Yeah, they're definitely good scouting events, too. And, and I remember when I was working with the Phoenix Independent Filmmakers Group, uh, we did we did any challenge that came up, we signed up for. Mm-hmm. And uh, they were great opportunities to go, you know what, we've got another project coming up, and this person was a great DP, or this person was you know, an amazing set designer. And uh, yeah, they're, they're good for, for scouting. Uh, I'm glad they're yeah. still doing the IFP classes because I thought those were wonderful. And I remember when you asked me to be on one of the panels, I was amazed mm-hmm. at the the variety of people in the audience. You had people that were just wanting to get into it to very experienced, well-versed people. Right. And uh, it was really good to see that mix because it, it goes to show that those kind of panels are are potentially great experience for every everybody, no matter where you're at in the business. Absolutely. That's the stuff we need more of. We need more ability to educate each other and work together to make things better. And I think what we tend to end up with is a lot of people that just sort of branch off on their own Mm -hmm. and kind of do things at the level that they know and they don't want to learn from other people. I I just think if we all work together, we'll come up with better things. Yeah. Well, I I mean, it is. I will say that, you know, when you work with when you've worked with people before, like a director and a DP, um, you know, once you've worked, done some projects with with each other, you kind of uh, are become more efficient because yeah. there's a common language. They know, they kind of know what you're looking for, you know, because they've worked with you before. So there is that, which is helpful, but it also is helpful to try new people because you might find something that, that works a little bit better for this particular film. So sure. I, I've, I have enjoyed working with, you know, all a bunch of different DPs over the years for sure. And it really, a lot of times too, depends on the type of film that you're working with. Some people are really, really good at comedy. Some people are really, really good at horror films, but can't do comedy. Mm-hmm. And uh, to be able to have different go-to people for different, whatever you might be filming is always a good idea too. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Now you also edit your own stuff as well. Um, I, I, uh, yes, uh, not all the time, but when, but when I uh, need to, and there isn't anybody else to edit, um, and I do enjoy the process. I'm probably not as efficient as somebody that does it all the time. <laughs> sure, yeah. Um, but I, but I do like. Um, I do like the process of putting everything together and and. Um, you know, massaging it, massaging it, massaging it. But I, but I do think it, it's good to have an outside person. Um, when I say outside person, somebody that besides the director um, or the writer editing, just to um, bring in some, some, you know, some new ideas and new thoughts about things. And you know, sometimes, sometimes we get really caught up on a particular scene or a particular shot or something, and it really isn't helping the film. Um, and it's hard sometimes to let those go, but so uh, I, I'm, I love the collaboration of, with filmmaking. I really do. That, that's one of the things that I miss when I'm doing the novels because that's a very solo type of, from, for the most part, it's a very solo activity. It really is. Do you, do you have your beta readers that will go through it and go, okay, I, this, kind of lost me or I really like this part mm-hmm. or you know I think that's important yes it's like using it's like having a test audience for for your film 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, one of the things that works really well with, with this particular novel is I, when, as soon as I moved here to the Dallas area, I joined a writer's meetup group. Mm. And, uh, North Texas, well, they're gonna shoot me now because I can't get the name right. <laughs> so the North Texas, North Texas writers meetup, or, you know. And so every Tuesday night, I go to that meeting and I can take up to 10 pages and read that of my novel, and then they give you, you know, you have copies for everybody, and they give you feedback verbally as well as written. And, you know, you get all kinds of feedback, you know, grammatical and punctuation and story and character, and are you showing, um, you know, are you telling instead of showing, and all kinds of stuff. Mm -hmm. And uh, it, it has been so helpful so, so helpful on this novel yeah. that, um, so it's like having, uh, and it took me mm, probably seven months to get through this book with them. Cause I could only do, you know, 10 pages a week. Right. So, yeah. um, but the, but the, it's like having, you know, 12, 10 or 12 people beta reading as you go along and you're doing it. So I immediately will come home and you know, look at everything and rewrite if I, you know, rewrite things and change things. And, and that was just really, really helpful, I will say. Yeah. And, and 10 pages is a lot. Um, I, most of the people that I know that are involved in writers groups, they usually do four, you know, three to five pages. So to be able well, to get 10 spaced. pages in is great. It's, it's double space, 10 pages, double space. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> well, there so you, you go. It usually, yeah, it usually works out where you get about 20 minutes, mm -hmm. um, so, you know, you read for, you know, 10, 12 minutes and then and then feedback for the rest of the time. So Now, I would imagine the, the group feedback dynamic would be very helpful. But do you find it's difficult because you're so limited in, in the amount of text that the, the, the references maybe aren't there because they're doing it in such small chunks and then you go a week or however long between meetings, whereas a beta reader will just sit there and read the book over the course of however many days? Yeah. Well, and, and that's true. And that's why it's important to have people, you know, read the entire, the entire thing. But I'll tell you, in this particular group, there are some people that can remember so much. Uh, you know, some of these people, they'll bring up something that you've read four months ago. And, and mind you, there's probably eight or nine other people that are reading their stories as well. And these people have the greatest memory. I don't know how they do it, but, um, but they do. They, they they do. So, but most of us. Well, I shouldn't say most of us. I should say for me, it, it's uh, to have that many stories going along. Yes, I, I agree with your statement. <laughs> yeah, there are people that just are skilled in memory. I am not one of them. <laughs> me either. <laughs> yeah. If you know, thankfully, I can set as many alarms on my phone and as many things in my calendar as I need to, so that I'm never late or, you know, forget an event because I would be completely lost. And and I think part of it is because I I've become so dependent on the technology. I'm sure if I walked away from it and found another mechanism, I could do it. But why bother? Mm -hmm. I've got this wonderful technology. Why wouldn't I use it? Right. right. No. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I I definitely have my systems on how to remember, you know, things. And I do the alarms. I um, keep my to-do list on my phone. I look at it every day, several times a day, mm -hmm. and uh, try and keep myself organized. But 
well, and you are you you know you're kind of known for being organized, so that's not too surprising to me. Oh, now when <laughs> when you're writing, whether you're doing a screenplay or a novel, um, do you how do you like your setting? Do you play music? Do you just shut the door and soundproof everything? What do you do? Music is a huge thing for me. Music is a huge thing. Um, I always write with music, and but it has to be music that has no lyrics to right. it. Mm-hmm. You know, so I have uh, basically, you know, I have some soundtracks that are very soft, like this particular book, Room for Another. Um, I was listening to more piano type of music and and um, more emotion, emotional, you know, soft, mm-hmm. emotional, somber. When I'm, but a lot of times I'll listen to like um, soundtracks from movies. Yeah. So yeah. I love the soundtrack from Black Hawk Down, you know, when I'm working with kind of the kind of more of the psychological type of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, listen to that. And on Pandora, I have my, my uh, Hans Zimmer <laughs> thing where they, you know, they just are constantly playing soundtracks, you know, from all kinds of different movies, which, uh, but yes, definitely, definitely music for me. Yeah. And then uh, I usually will... Um, usually once a week, sometimes two if I'm, if I'm home all week, but, uh, I will go to Starbucks and I will sit in Starbucks and write for five or six hours straight without even getting up out of the chair, mm-hmm. which I know is probably not so healthy for me, but, but I put my headphones on and I just completely get, you know, involved in that, involved with, uh, with what I'm doing. As opposed to being at home, I can do that as well, but there's a few more distractions at home. When you're sitting at Starbucks, you're not going to get up and do the laundry or you're not going to put dinner in the oven or <laughs> you're, 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 you don't really want to get up at all. You found a table and you're gonna, it's yours. Exactly, exactly. Well, my husband, my husband is uh, gone a lot for work, and so um, I have a lot of um, – so that there's, there's not – that distraction of having other people, and of course, my kids are grown, so um, I don't have the the family distractions mm-hmm. like day to day type of thing usually. Yeah. Um, so I can I can sit and I have a favorite purple chair that I sit in <laughs> and uh, and work on stuff. Yeah. Well, being comfortable is so much a, a part of it. If you're not comfortable, you're going to be distracted, and it's really hard to just lock into that zone where you don't even realize mm-hmm. the sun has gone down or it's tomorrow. Exactly. Exactly. That is so true. I'll, I'm a late night person anyway. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm usually late to bed and late to rise. And sometimes I'm like, oh, it's three o'clock in the morning. I got to go to bed. Yeah, I, I've done that. I, you know, I sit uh, facing a window, but the blinds are almost always drawn. And uh, I, I will just realize at some point that, oh, there's light at the cracks at the edges of the blind. I guess the sun came up and I should probably go to bed now. <laughs> but that's it. You get locked in that zone and you don't even realize yep. how much time has passed. And uh, it's it's amazing because usually the material, at least in my experience, the material that comes out when you're doing that is, is some of the best stuff I've ever done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you're uninterrupted, yeah. uninterrupted and in the zone. Exactly. You don't have to pick up and try and build that momentum because you're you're going with the momentum. You're in it. I agree. When when I uh, was writing one of the particularly emotional parts of of my novel, uh, I had put on I had created a, a playlist of music from Lost. Mm, okay. 
and uh, it was I. There were moments where I thought I think this was the best thing I could have done, and there were moments where I was just so emotional from the music mm-hmm. that I had to actually stop working on the book for a minute and calm down from that, so that wow. I could write the book. Yeah. It was almost over, you know, overkill. A little bit too much, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But Zimmer's good. Zimmer uh, because his music can be very um, patient. So it's not always really busy and distracting. Mm-hmm. So that can be good. Um, Gladiator was right. was one that uh, that I tend to use a lot when I'm mm-hmm. when I need to get things done. I'll put Gladiator on and I get things done. Right, right. Uh, the Island from Steve Jablonski is another one that I really, really enjoy, and I can I can oh. hear it without hearing it. Right. You know, to where it's it, it, not distracting. Uh, I'll have to uh, check that one out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll have yeah. to check that one out. I do a uh, I do a lot um, of writing in my head, listening to music while I'm walking. Mm-hmm. So I'll I'll take a long walk and give myself a a task like I need to figure out what happens with this character or how I want to you know put this shot together or you know whatever. And I give that to myself mentally. I put my headphones on. I go for my walk and listen to the type of music that would inspire that. And it's, it's funny, but a lot of times I come home and I've got the answer, I've got the scene, and then I, I bring out my, um, you know, I take my phone and I record it on the, the voice memo. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I do that while I'm walking as well, but so just so I can get it down. And um, th- that just works really well. M- music is definitely probably the biggest thing for me, though. Obviously, I mean, as a musician, it has an impact on me. What I find difficult is listening to my own music because I'm too busy picking little things apart going, oh, you know, you should have put that a little more in the background or a little to the left ear or whatever. And I can't relax and listen to it, which is funny because I write relaxation music and I'm the only one that can't relax to it. (laughs) That makes sense. It's, you know. It does. But interestingly, I can use it to write with. Really? I just can't use it to relax with. Yeah, because it's it's very, um, the the mental sauna stuff is, is... very uh, calm and patient and it's not intricate so it, it yes. allows me to not be distracted by it and just kind of have it instead of a, a dead quiet room which I can't stand mm-hmm. no absolutely I, I've listened to your stuff I, I had the well, I think the first sauna, mental sauna one that you had and I would listen oh, to it to go you. to sleep sometimes <laughs> oh good yeah. good I'm glad that's uh, working I need something yes absolutely it's it's interesting you picked that one because the, the opening track on that I actually wrote for uh, Jessica Marquis in Phoenix when she did her uh, book on unicorns and she wanted to do a companion CD oh Yes, I remember that. I remember that now. Yes. Yep. So a bunch of us uh, got together and, and uh, that you know she approached us and said, "Well, I'd love it if you'd submit a track." And so I wrote that for her. Um, and they're really interesting because speaking about forty-eight hour film challenges, the very first one they ever did, they did as, as a stop frame animation. Really? Wow. I don't know people that would pick up a stop frame animation film to do under any circumstances, let alone a time right. crunch like that. And it was beautifully right. done. I mean, they did such a great job with it. The final product was fantastic. But who takes on something like that? I don't know. I don't know. I worked with um, Bob, her husband, on uh, one of the 48 or actually it was a 72 hour musical challenge oh, yeah. that actually is called Wish Inc. And uh, that was that was quite the challenge. But he he helped 
he was one of the, the writers, you know, like the whole, there was five of us that got together and, and, uh, four of us were actually coming up with the script while the, the composer was, uh, Mark Greenwald. He was writing music and coming up with ideas because obviously it's a musical, so you have to have lyrics that right. are, you know, that work and everything. Yeah. And Bob also, uh, Bob also, uh, edited it. And so, it's a, in fact, it's going to be screening um, at the uh, and this is we did this several years ago and, the, and still got in. It's going to screen at the the APA's um, Women's Night Out or Ladies Night Out uh, for you know female filmmakers and blah blah blah. That's so, fun. but it's going to be at the uh, I think it's on November sixteenth at the um, Scottsdale Center for the Arts. But anyway, it was a it was a really uh, that was a that was a challenge to to have that do a musical in 72 hours. But. Yeah. That's, that's a lot of pressure on the composer for sure. And, you know, instead of just yeah. sitting at home going, okay, well, here's the script and I want to do this, or maybe I'll try that. No, you've got to do all the stuff up front. Yeah. It, yeah. He, he did a great job. He did a great job with it. It, it was, it was a, one of those films that it's very, um, kind of uplifting and, and, mm. um, you know, has a really good feel good, uh, feel to it. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's kind of what you want in a musical. Yes. Yes, for sure. Yeah. Oh, that's fine. I mean, but that's what I love about those challenges that every one of them really is something different. Mm-hmm. After a while, for me, at least it kind of became a formulated thing because I kind of got it down. I, you know, I got my writing process down. I got the speed down. I got the, you know, I'm going to come home from the writer's meeting. I'm going to sleep for four hours. By then, I'll get up. They'll have the script. Wait, no, they're not going to send it until the morning. So, you know, I'd get up every hour right. and check. And, and yeah. you just kind of get into a, a, a process. And once you have that process and the time crunch isn't an issue anymore, mm-hmm. then it's just like doing any other kind of film. You know, there wasn't as much challenge in it for me. Yeah. And uh, I, I kind of miss being challenged that way because now any challenge I have is either something I get hired to do in a very short time frame, which those challenges gave me the skills to do, or something just completely out of my comfort zone. Right, right. Well, I will say that, you know, with all the ones that, that I did with my teams, um, they, I mean, they were really fun and I love them, but I also love not having to have that pressure yeah. to be able to have, you know, take your time a little bit more, maybe get a good night's sleep in between. <laughs> right, uh, right. And so, yeah, yeah. Well, the other thing becomes what's the point? I mean, there was a group, I think, that did a 30 day challenge where they did a, a film every day for 30 days. And I thought, well, what's the point of just turning out films for the purpose of turning them out? I mean, if if you're going to be an artist, then do something that's worth putting out instead of yeah. just saying, "Well, we broke the record for you know longest streak of films yeah. in a day for a month or whatever." I I don't see the point. I definitely quality over quantity for me. Right, unless unless they really wanted to gain a lot of experience mm-hmm. very quickly. Um, you know, there there's that part of it too. Sure, I did a lot of. You know, did a lot of films at the very beginning, um, and um, you know, as a director, a writer, director, and you know, I just kind of cringe at them now um, because, but those are my learning films yeah. too. So, uh, you know, they they were they were very beneficial for what I wanted. You know, what they were for. Mm-hmm. 
You see what I'm saying? Oh, so absolutely. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's still going to be some benefit in it, but to put it out there and to be, you know, they, they were very publicly um, involved to make sure that everybody knew what they were doing and, hey, watch our film every day and, you know, let's get our YouTube mm-hmm. numbers up and all that. And I'm like, but, but if you want numbers, then put out something that's going to be of value. And people will talk to that, true. you know. Yeah. Uh, it depends on what your what what attitude you're going into it with. If you're going into it with a let's just really see what we can do and push ourselves and grow from this, then absolutely it could be a wonderful thing. Mm-hmm. But that didn't seem to be what their target was to me. Oh. But okay. maybe I'm wrong. Okay. Maybe I misinterpreted what they were doing. Yeah. Um, but speaking of putting things out, now I know that this book is coming out in paperback. And I'm sorry, I don't think I've even said the name yet. Room for Another is the, the name yeah. of this book. And I love the cover art uh, that you have on the website. It's uh, the baby in the present box, mm-hmm. which I yes. absolutely love. Yes. Um, Thank now, you. You're the first person that, that has, I mean, I just got that back just very recently. So oh. um, you're the first person uh, that that, uh, that wasn't involved in actually coming up with it. Mm. <laughs> um, that. That uh, I got a comment on, so thank you very much. Yeah, absolutely. I, 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 it's a very stunning and telling photo. As soon as you start reading the the description of what the book is, you really mm-hmm. understand why the picture is there. And I, I just think it's a very, very nicely done cover. Uh, but that's you. coming out in paperback. So are there? Are you doing a Kindle also, or an audio book, or what are your what are your avenues for this one? Um, yes, uh, not the audiobook, um, Kindle, and then, yes, yeah, so through the, all the, the various things that'll be on Apple Books, and, mm-hmm. and, uh, you, if it goes through Smashwords, which of course then they put it out to uh, a bunch of different places as well, like Barnes and Noble, mm-hmm. um, not the bookstore, but online store, right. uh, and all of that. So, yes, so it'll basically be in digital as well as paperback. I love audiobooks. I listen to audiobooks all the time. Me too. I've worked on quite a few of them. Does this just not translate well to an audio? Uh, no. Um, the the very first novel that I did actually had I had uh, Kane Black. Oh yeah. Um, who's an actor that I've worked with? Yeah, Kane did the the narration for Promise of Protection, which was the first one, um, and I I did all the editing of it and then submitted it through Audible. Um, I, so the other novels I have not done, I would like to do, but I, I'm trying to, I've kind of been waiting for a, a good site to put it on besides Audible, um, and uh, I, I've had a few things that, that I didn't, that I don't like about Audible from an author standpoint, so I was really kind of waiting to, to try and have these other sites, and there are more sites coming. I love that you're doing it in print because like myself, there are so many people that love to have a book and just don't want to convert to the Kindle yet. That is absolutely true. I, I had done, um, in fact, I think you responded to this, um, through my email list, my author email list. And then I also put it up on, uh, on Facebook Mm -hmm. and just threw it out there. You know, what, how do people like to read? And, uh, I was surprised that, the the lion's share of people do still love paperbacks, and then it was auto, and then it was audiobooks, and then it was the Kindle or the you know digital books, yeah, which surprised me. But maybe you know, like what you said, you like to curl up on the couch with a, a good book when yeah. you can, and um, so uh, so most of my readers are 
are going to be paperback. Right. And and so you know, I want to I want to make sure that they're they're able to do that. Yeah. And read it. Was that was <laughs> is that partially a generational thing? Do you think, or did you test that part of the data? I didn't do that much. I I mean, uh, I think uh, I think that some of that is uh, that way. But yet, my son, um, who is a lot younger, he still. I mean, he does read stuff on Kindle stuff, uh, the Kindle, but he also likes the likes the paper. Well, with with Kindle, there's a lot of things that have come out that are only available on Kindle. So if you don't have that one, you don't have access to those books at all. Oh, wow. So there's an advantage to that. Uh, plus, you mm-hmm. know, a lot of times you can get a book for 99 cents or an author will do a trilogy and they'll give the first book away. So to kind of, you know, get people interested and then they'll charge for the second and third one. Right. So there's a lot of things that you can do with King. You're not going to give away a $26 paperback book to, you know, mm-hmm. to get people interested. That is very true. That's very true. And, and, um, and you know, there's a, obviously I have all, all the paperbacks. They go through Create Space, which is now kind of merging over to, to uh, KDP. But mm-hmm. the um, – the, uh, the cost that you have to have in order to not go in the hole. I mean, you know, it, it's great. Print on demand is a great option for people. Yes. And so by the time they print it and then they take their cut, there's, you know, not as much, <laughs> there's not very much left. But, right. you know, they're reading the book. So um, I, I would rather have them read it and get less than you know, have them not read it and get more, if you know what I mean. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I'd rather reach a wider audience than a profitable audience. I mean, obviously, you want some, mm-hmm. some you know, meld of both. But it's to me, as an artist, I think it's more important to reach people. But then to me, as a businessman, it's more important to make money. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, yeah. With, so with this one, this is going to be a soft cover edition? Yes, yes, soft cover. Good. I like those. They're so because they're more flexible. Like it's nice to read a hardcover, but if the book isn't, you know, a good seven, eight hundred pages, mm-hmm. it just feels weird to have a hardcover. It feels more like a like a school textbook. Yeah, that's true. That's true. No, yeah. I've done all mine and those all mine are the are the uh, soft cover paperbacks, yeah. Yeah, I did mine through Create Space too and, and I agree that print on demand is is phenomenal. You know, mm-hmm. and usually Amazon will take, you know, three or four and they'll keep those in stock. And then when they run out, they'll reprint. So you're not waiting on one to be printed per se. Uh, mm-hmm. But for us to be able to, you know, hey, I've got a book signing that I just found out I'm doing in two weeks. You can contact Create Space and just have them print you a bunch of them and ship them off or ship them to the venue because they'll do that for you. Um, mm-hmm. So yep. are you going to do uh, any kind of tour with this? Um. <laughs> I hadn't planned on it because, uh, you know, I'm I'm kind of like trying to focus on my next project, <laughs> um, and um, you know, you and I are project people, so uh, yeah. I'm I'm wanting to jump on jump into the uh, jump into the next project. Um, so I hadn't I hadn't planned that, um, but I don't know. I have to explore it a little bit. Well, I've got albums planned. I've got books planned. I've got singles planned. Um, I'll probably do some sort of craft thing somewhere in there. What? <laughs> how do you balance what you want to do next? So now you've all, uh, you've obviously spent a lot of time working on this book, but you shot this short film. So how do you find your balance between what order you work on your projects? Okay, so probably the easiest way to say this is if I'm going to do a film, that is going to be the first priority. 
However, films, sometimes there's a lot of time that happens between films. Mm -hmm. So for me, that's when I write. So I have, I have spent a lot of time working on my next book, uh, planning. And I have, uh, I, I'm going to try and do a series. So it'll be a series of three books. Mm -hmm. And, um, I've spent a lot of time already on it over the last few years because it's just been, you know, I did the NaNoWriMo last year, the National November Writing Month thing. Have you done that? I haven't because I can't lock myself down to commit to it because I'm do, usually doing too many things at one time. Yeah, yeah. It, it's a, it's an interesting process for sure. Uh, but anyway, so I did it last year with this particular project, and, and I got about 70,000 words done, which is which is fine. That's good, um, yeah. Not, not polished, but mm -hmm. at least it's there. So I have this, I have this trilogy that I, that I want to start working on. But I also have this uh, feature film project that um, that I want to spend some good a good amount of time doing a lot of pre-production type of stuff, uh, getting ready to go. So once we secure the funding, then I can, you know, then I can jump right into it. So mm. uh, so so it just depends on on what's coming up. Um, I like both things. I like the writing and the filmmaking, but the filmmaking doesn't. It just doesn't happen as much. Yeah, it's it's a longer process, and and the thing is, for film to work, you have to have the money up front. With a book, mm -hmm. you can pick away at it. You could take a weekend, you could take a week or a month or however long you need to, and you don't need the funds to write the book. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And when you do get the money for a film, you better start in it because anybody who's invested in it is going to want that film done ASAP. Well, once we once we're able to uh, secure the financing for this uh, this feature film, which would be, I've done, I've directed lots of short films, um, but I have not directed a feature film yet. Mm -hmm. And so that's my goal is to uh, try and not try get it done. Yeah, get it done. <laughs> get it at least shot by the time my birthday rolls around next year. So that that's so we're really trying hard to secure the funding and move forward. So once once the funds are secured, then I will have, you know, I can just jump right into casting and finding a crew and locations and all that kind of stuff. Are you going to do another uh, campaign? Like a, 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 you didn't use Indiegogo. Who did you say you used for the other one? Seed and Spark. Oh, Seed and yeah. Spark, yeah. Are you going to do something like that? And I did another campaign with uh, with that longer short film that I did called Blue Copper. Mm -hmm. um, I did that through Kickstarter. I did that like four years ago. And no, I'm trying not to. I'm trying not to. I, I mean, I think that the crowdfunding, it's just very saturated now. And, um, you know, it's it's at the beginning, it, it worked really well because it was new and it was a new way to, to let people know um, or to get people to help you. Um, but you know you can only help so many people, right? Like right. even even though you want to want to contribute, sometimes you you just you know that makes it difficult. So I can't say never. I mean maybe for a portion of it, but I'm trying not to do that this time if possible. Yeah, and everybody's got their hand out now. I mean it's not even just the the campaigns which are still going on. There's Kickstarter and Indiegogo and Seed and Spark, and there's a couple other big ones. But now you've got mm -hmm. people that and bless their heart for doing it, but they're doing uh, birthday fundraisers on Facebook, and mm -hmm. you know. <sighs> I just, I can't give to everybody. And then you feel guilty when you give to one person that you care about and not another one. Or <laughs> like, I, I just can't be bled yeah. every day for something. 
know. Yeah, I I hear you. I, I definitely hear you. I mean, I've I've uh, and it takes a lot of work. I, I certainly know how much work it goes into running a, a crowdfunding campaign, but it just isn't quite as effective um, as it as it once was. Mm-hmm. I mean, people are still doing it, but. Yeah. And, and and to do something like Patreon, I mean, you really need to have a huge following. You need to have a mm-hmm. lot of dedicated fans to be able to make something like that work. And, yes. you know, people will support you, they'll sign up, but not everybody that's, you know, if you get 1% of your mailing list to donate, you're doing pretty good. Mm-hmm. So yeah. It's, yeah, it's definitely tough that way. But I think with, you know, with your connections, with your ability and your your drive. I think when people see that, I think that you'll, I think you'll get some good support. Well, I hope so. (laughs) I do too. I want to see you make this film. Shorts are great. You can cut your teeth on them. You can learn a lot. You can practice, you can experiment, but at some point you got to do a feature. Yep. Absolutely. Well, I've, I've got, you know, this feature will be based on my second novel, which all three of of my first three novels were all film ideas anyway. Mm -hmm. So, uh, then when I, Ended up moving to Texas with my husband. Uh, I, I knew I wasn't going to be doing film as much, and so I thought, okay, I'm going to take these ideas, put them in a novel, which was actually really kind of fun to do, mm-hmm. to go from screenwriting to, to novel writing, because you get to, you're so much more free with the way that you can write yes. and say, oh, this person like felt this way, or you know what their internal thoughts are, where you can't really do that in screenwriting. Right. So that, that was really cool, plus it... So it allowed me to really get to know my characters mm-hmm. a lot better because I had to. Well, because you're creating the character now. You're you're not letting the actor have any room to do anything. You have you all have all of that responsibility. Yeah, yeah. So from ninety pages, you know, versus you know, however many three hundred pages or whatever, mm-hmm. um, you have to just go into a lot more of their backstory, a lot more of everything about it. So that I think has helped me by taking the novels now and putting them back to screenplay, right. even though I have to cut a lot, and, mm-hmm. you know, obviously. But uh, but at least I know my characters much better. Yeah, that's true. And and so that will allow you to make a, a more tailored screenplay to get what you want. And maybe that has, would change who you would cast, because now you've seen it through a different set of eyes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And at least you're not cutting down Stephen King novels into movies because every one of those could pretty much be a miniseries of some kind. Yeah, it's true. But for me, the, the, the challenge in writing a novel versus a screenplay was filling in all the colors, not just the, the characters and making them important and, and uh, you know, whether you wanted the audience to love them or hate them, you know, get them to that point. But it was all the, you know, setting the scene for every every moment you know what the sky was mm-hmm. like what the room smelled like all those kind of things is where i found the challenge yeah well i t- you know there are some books uh that the author really really goes into a lot of that mm-hmm. i tend to i'll put some of it but i don't i don't belabor the point uh, as long as some authors do and i think that's probably because i'm thinking of film right yeah <laughs> but yeah. But that's but that's some of the feedback that I've received on my novels. Is people are saying, you know, I just I, I it, the pace was quick, it was fast, and I 
couldn't put it down. I just kept, and I tend to write short chapters, mm-hmm. uh, which can also draw the person in. It's like, oh, I can read three more pages. Oh, oh I yeah. can read two more pages. Oh, I can read four more pages. Mm-hmm. And so that, and so they get through them pretty quickly. Yeah, that that's a good point because I tend to do that. I will, you know, when I'm getting close to finishing a chapter, I'll look ahead at the next one and see how many pages it is. And if if I'm not, you know too tired i'll push myself a little bit and then i'll be you know uh-huh. then i'll wake up in that chapter and go okay one more okay one more <laughs> exactly one of the last books i read and i don't remember which one it was but i it might have been a grisham novel or something but uh i was about five pages from the end and the power went out oh, and no. i thought no i'm not letting that stop me so i, I lit a candle and the only way i could get the candlelight <laughs> on the book was to sit at this really awkward angle uh, on, on my bed. And, uh, of course it's, you know, five minutes after I finished the book, the power came back on, but you, you do, you get engrossed. There's the momentum, but there's also that I don't really want to stop, even though I know I need to stop. And that's right, a sign right. of good writing that you've got people. Right. Right. Absolutely. I, I agree with that. Yeah. That's funny about the. <laughs> Oh, yeah, and that was, oh, I can't imagine what the look on my face must have been. Fortunately, I lived alone, and it was dark, (laughs) so no one saw it. So uh, before before we go, and of course, I'll have all the links in the show notes so that uh, people can find you very quickly. I highly recommend signing up for her mailing list. She sends out about once a month, right? Yeah, sometimes. A little bit more when when a book release is coming, but... Yeah. Sometimes less, sometimes more, yes. That's what I really try to do. I, I you know, if there's a, a release or something major happening, then I'll do more than one a month. But I really, I don't want to bombard people. I don't think my life is mm-hmm. that exciting. I put out a lot <laughs> of stuff, but it's not on a daily basis. Right, right. I'll, I'll send something, like I'll do a blog. When I first went to, to Texas, um, when I first came here like five years ago, I started doing a blog every single week. Mm-hmm. And um, and then it kind of tapered off. So now I do one every couple months or so. So if a new blog comes out, I'll, I'll definitely be letting people know, what, you know that, it's, that it's out with right. a link or if it's a book. Or, and I do include some of my film stuff on there as well. Mm-hmm. Because that's me, you know. Right. It, it, it's hard for me to separate them, you know. <laughs> well, I think it, it falls under the Diane umbrella. You know, the the <laughs> this is the, everything I do. It's it's like me because I do music, I do books, I do you know a couple different things, and it mm-hmm. really gets hard from a marketing perspective. Like, do you follow me because you like my books? Do you follow me because you like my music? Is it just the relaxation music? Is it the film music? There's so many little subcategories. Well, maybe maybe they're Scott. They're following you because they like you. Well, that would be nice to think too. I would well, yes, hope. but they they like your creative, you know, your creative ability and and all, you know. So I think that has something to do with it too. Well, I'm not <laughs> going to complain about that possibility. And I and you know, and I, I have people that that they'll uh, they'll bring me to one of the shows here in Vegas and they'll ask me to post a review about it. So I'll do that as a blog and then I'll submit it to Yelp and and that sort of thing as well. So there's a lot mm-hmm. of really varied content. Um, I feel like I'm kind of all over the place. You just, it, it, I'm like one of those, just like a box with a question mark on the side of it, and you just reach in and you get whatever toy is available that day. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Thank yes, you. Absolutely. So uh, before we go, you know, because you've got so much experience as both uh, both an author and as a filmmaker, and you tend to probably think of your books as a filmmaker and your movies as an author. What what would you say to somebody who really just has all this creative juice like you do, 
and they they kind of don't really know what to do with it. What advice would you give to somebody that's just bursting to start somewhere? Uh, I know well, I'm putting you on the spot. You no, know, that's okay. I mean, what would I tell them? Well, I would I would tell them to just start with something small. Um, if it, you know whatever their creative passion might be, you know, to kind of discover what that is. And sometimes you can discover what it isn't before you figure out what it is. So. Just start with something small. Start with something small. Like with the filmmaking, uh, you know, I did the I did the screenplay. That was kind of my foray into doing something more creative from a writing standpoint. Mm-hmm. And then I did a, a short film that I didn't really do too much on, but it, you know, it it let me see that oh, I kind of like this. And then you know, kind of continue on from there. So, but I think you need to. And, you know, as opposed to going in and completely overwhelming yourself with this huge project. Like, if you're not sure, if you want to write, but you're not sure that that um, you can handle a whole novel, then, you know, write an article or write a blog or write a paper or just do something creative, just something small, and then build from there. Yeah. I mean, you can, you can write a short story and write a bunch of short stories, and if you're comfortable with them, you can release those as a collection at, at some point. Uh, there's so many different things you can do. I tend to write a lot that people will, won't hear because it's just not really releasable. It's just exercises, you know, things mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. kind of stimulate my brain or I want to try this and see how it would work. And then, you know, maybe I'll use that concept in a project later on down the road. But the scratch versions, you know, usually don't go out unless I specifically want like demo feedback or something. Right, right. I think that's very true. And then sometimes what you'll find or what I've found is that those, like from a, a, a short screenplay that or a short story, that you've got something really solid that you can expand into something longer if you want to. But at least by starting with whatever that core idea is and then kind of expand from there. I like that. Yeah. I, I think that's the thing is build the foundation. You know, but but mm-hmm. find find what you're really passionate about. If you want to be a filmmaker, but maybe you don't want to be a producer, or maybe you don't enjoy directing, there's plenty of other parts of filmmaking that that you might enjoy more. Uh, Absolutely, I think that's the beautiful thing about being creative is that there's so many facets and so many different things that you can do with it. Uh, it almost becomes too, like uh, having too many options at the vending machine. You've got one dollar and you want to pick just the right thing, but you're like, I don't, I don't want to spend the dollar until I know. Yeah, that's true. So, so just spend the nickel, and then once you figure out that you like or don't like it, then go from there. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, or just borrow like one cookie off of somebody else <laughs> you know, until you find the one you like. Diane, it has just been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I wish you great success, uh, especially with Room for Another. I think that it's uh, it's going to be something that a lot of people will identify with and definitely looking forward to reading it myself. And uh, I'll have the links to uh, the availability of it posted in the show notes for everybody that wants to check it out. That's awesome. Thank you so much. It's been really wonderful talking with you, Scott. It's like just having a conversation on the phone and a few people are listening in. <laughs> that's that's it. Yeah, that's, you know, that's the goal is you want it to be really comfortable and not feel too interviewee, even though I'm asking all the questions. No, it's been wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for the opportunity. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Take care and good luck, Diane. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. 
Wow, that was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed my conversation with Diane, and I hope you guys did too. Definitely check out her new book. Links are in the show notes. Uh, If you're getting it where there aren't show notes, you can go to my Facebook page or my Facebook group and look at my uh, Haskincast podcast album. And in there are all the individual shows uh, posted with the picture of the guest and then all the links in the bio inside. You can also find it on uh, Pinterest as well. Uh, My website doesn't have the, uh, or actually I think it does have the show notes now. Uh, Anyway, if you don't have the uh, access to any of the show notes and you would like them again, feel free to email me at scott at scotthaskin.com. Thanks for listening guys and see you next week. 